Let me tell you why the Steelers won't go any further next year. Joey Porter's coming back as the outside backers coach. Not the Porter impacts the winning or losing in a profoundly negative fashion. But Porter is just exemplary of the buddy system. Porter causes trouble in high school football games. He rants and raves like a player on the Steelers' sideline and has been known to run onto the field. Porter is supposed to be a badass, but when James Harrison fell asleep during one of his position meetings, Porter didn't have the balls to wake him up or call him out. In terms of coaching acumen, it's too early to tell with T.J. Watt, but I do not see Bud Dupree getting any better. Porter is a mascot, not a coach. But yet, at a time when the Steelers fired the offensive coordinator because the quarterback doesn't like him, Joey Porter is being retained because the head coach does like him. It's the buddy system. And right now, it's a bad look for the Steelers. Hey, Joey Porter. Hey, Mike Tomlin. Hey, buddy system. Guess what? You just made the list. The list brought to you by Matt Mertz Plumbing. Count on a name. You can trust now 412-367-0815 for all your plumbing, heating, and cooling needs. I can't believe they're not firing Joey Porter. He's small potatoes. But, again, buddy system. That's big with Tomlin. Buddy system. At wide receivers, coach, you're going to choose between nepotism with Danny Rooney and buddy system with Heinz Ward. Actually, quite an exciting race, and I find myself wondering what will triumph, nepotism or buddy system. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. Uh, I want to go over uh, this this stat. Well, actually, it's a, a money figure. When Bob Nodding bought the Pirates, when he assumed control, I think he was a part owner prior, and then became majority owner in 2007. In 2007, the Pirates were worth $274 million. They are now worth $1.2 billion. Uh, the franchise value is appreciated by roughly 400%. And yet we keep hearing about the financial realities of small market baseball and MLB economics. Nodding isn't just making a little money. He's like Scrooge McDuck. He can fill up the swimming pool with $1,000 bills and gold coins and dive right in. I got a blog that actually has Bob Nodding as Scrooge McDuck. Check that out on the Mark Madden page at WXDX.com. And I want to know, too, there's no law that says sports team owners have to make money. Plenty of times sports team owners spend more than they bring in because they want to win. And those guys don't go broke. They're just a little less rich. Invariably, they sell the team for a higher price than they paid for it, just like Bob Nutting will someday, not soon enough. Bob Nutting, instead of making a little money, took your tax dollars to build his stadium 
and now he's just pulling as much money out of this burg as he possibly can. I can't say that's not right. It's good business, but it sure doesn't seem right. We're also talking about Lev Bell. Ed Bouchette says it's not definite the Steelers are bringing him back. I'm hearing the same thing. Should they bring Lev Bell back? If they don't, what should they do with the money? If they don't, how badly would it hurt the Steelers' offense? If the Steelers didn't have Bell, they could go out and get a decent back for, well, again, I give this example, and it's extreme. In 2015, Bell only started six games due to suspension and injury. D'Angelo Williams started 10. He played in all 16 games. In his role, D'Angelo Williams gained 907 yards on the ground, rushing. His yards per carry was 4.5 yards, which is outstanding. He scored 11 touchdowns, and he made 1.4 mil. He made almost exactly 10% of what Lev Bell is scheduled to make next year if he gets franchised. And I look at what D'Angelo Williams did. He did about 75% of what you'd expect from Lev Bell. The receiving, obviously, is never going to be as good with D'Angelo or with whoever you bring in, probably, to replace Lev Bell. But if you dump him, you also get rid of the headache, you get rid of the holdout, you get rid of your top running back not being there at camp, because he won't be. And maybe he's not kidding about retiring. In fact, here's how that'll play out if they franchise him. He won't retire, but he might say he is. He won't sit out the season, he might say he is. He might put the Steelers in a real position of uncertainty. The more I talk about it out loud, the more I'm leaning toward getting rid of Lev Bell. Not getting rid of him, but letting him walk. Let's go to the Swabby and Dormont very quickly. Swabby, you're on the Mark Madden Show. How you doing, Mark? Good. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying. The only saying of not letting him go and, and franchise it for one more year is is that I think whatever money they spend on the defense, I don't think it's the personnel on the defense. I, you, you just hit the nail on the head. It's the coaching and it's the scheme. The scheme and the coaching hasn't been able to beat the Patriots for 15 years. Yeah, but Swabby, I'm not crazy about the personnel on defense either. They no, need no, they need but, to get a better in, a better inside linebacking core and those a better safety in place of Mitchell. Those D-backs need to improve. I'll tell you what, though. Maybe sooner or not later, Cam Sutton just beats out Artie Burns. At the very least, there should be competition between the two. Up next, it's football talk with the best football writer in America. It's Peter King from SI here on 105.9. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Super genius. Yeah. Mark, love the show. Well, if I won you over by imitating Dusty Rhodes, the American dream. So be it, baby. The X at 105.9. It's great to welcome back to the program America's top football writer. From the Monday Morning Quarterback and SI.com, he is Peter King. Peter, I enjoyed your article on the Steelers because it was dead on. Words like immature and sloppy definitely apply to the Steelers right now, but that's rarely been the case before. Yeah, Mark, I, I'm, I'm uh, you know, there are times when you look at a team and you say, this team needs to be tweaked. And... Uh, Look, I, I, you know, after I went went back and watched the, the week after the Patriots game, after I went back and watched 
the last series, the Steelers' last series, where, you know, the Jesse James play was ruled incomplete, and that was a bitter pill to swallow, no question about it. But then you're sitting there, you got no timeouts left, and you throw a crossing route to Darius Hayward Bay. And in my opinion, the only way you, you throw that play is if you think, A, he's going to score, B, he's going to get out of bounds. He didn't either. So it turns out to be a very bad call. The next call, they're in a rush. Roethlisberger obviously didn't want to do what Todd Haley wanted to do. And uh, so it turned out to be chaos. And they end up throwing an interception instead of kicking a chip shot field goal and going overtime. Um, they lose the game in regulation. So, I mean, I just thought that that was, I, I mean, I just, I, and look, I know this team was productive, and I know that Todd Haley had some really productive days and all that, but I, I just, I, I watched that and I said, that is incredibly sloppy. You know, the last two plays of a game that is probably going to determine home field in the AFC, and you don't have your crap together. Come on. you got to be better than that. And so to me, and again, I'm not blaming any one person. I mean, some of the blame has to fall on Tomlin, too. He's the head coach. The buck stops with him. But that's the kind of thing that this team better clean up. Well, by consensus, you can't fire Tomlin. Uh, you made that clear, and I agree. I mean, look at his record. He's a great coach. But what specifically can Tomlin do to fix what we're talking about here, Peter? I think, number one, uh, that he basically, honestly, runs a little bit tighter ship. Um, I chuckled. I probably shouldn't have, but I chuckled when he was on with Tony Dungy before they played the Patriots and uh and basically uh started you know talking about how uh we want uh or whatever that game was you know we want the patriots you know and we want them whatever i you, you, well right he basically know, said they, we're going to play him two times before yeah we're going to play him two times yeah yeah and so then then your team gets starts thinking that way you know before they play a team that beat them by 21 at home during the season they're all, you know, Mike Mitchell and Le'Veon Bell are talking about the Patriots. And I don't get it. I don't know. I mean, and again, I'm not trying to say that you you have to be so buttoned up that you can't make a silly statement now and then or you can't say things like that. But tell me, what 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 purpose does that have and what good does that do? And and it probably didn't matter, didn't make any difference as to who won the game on Sunday. I really doubt it did. But it just it just kind of looks it just looks amateurish. That's all to me. That's what it looks like. Were you surprised Todd Haley got let go, the offensive coordinator, but Keith Butler did not, the defensive coordinator? A little bit, um, a little bit, and I don't know the reason why that is. Uh, but I do think that you know when I've looked at the offense this year, and they were incredibly productive at times, many times. Oftentimes, most times, but as I say, the sloppiness in that in that game against New England just really stuck in my craw at a crucial time. Um, and again, we don't know what happened. We don't know what went on behind the scenes. We don't know if if one percent of this or forty percent of this had to do with New Year's Eve 
at Tequila Cowboy, if that had anything to do at all. I don't know. But I do think that uh, that Tomlin, you know, the same way he did it with Bruce Arians, the same way he did it with Dick LeBeau, sometimes I think a coach feels like he's got to make some changes uh, for the good of the entire team. Where was that Jacksonville game lost, Peter? There were so many turning points, it's like there were no turning points. In my opinion, the first 18 minutes of the game. Because, in my opinion, I think the game was won by Leonard Fournette and lost by the Pittsburgh front. Uh, you know, again, they did a valiant job coming back from 21 nothing down, but come on. I mean, you know, if you're if you're going to go down twenty-one nothing at home in a playoff game, absolutely, totally, unequivocally, take your crowd out of the game, uh, and 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 have a decent comeback in the second half. But was there a moment where you were watching that game where you really ever thought that the Steelers were going to win? I didn't, and so to me, I, I think it was lost early, and they just couldn't recover. How much did the loss of Shazier hurt? And is that their biggest need in the offseason, Peter, to replace him? In my opinion, you know, Ryan, and again, I, this sounds almost ghoulish. I mean, but if Ryan Shazier is on that team, they beat New England on the Sunday afternoon at Heinz Field, and they beat Jacksonville in the playoffs on a January Sunday afternoon at Heinz Field. That's my opinion. I think both of those games turned out to be so close, and there were so many plays to be made in those games by a rangy, hard-hitting, sideline-to-sideline linebacker, which, I mean, you know, Mark, I'd, I'd ask you this question. Okay, Ben Roethlisberger would be number one, okay, as far as players on this team that the Pittsburgh Steelers would not want to go into a game without, okay? Roethlisberger's one. In my opinion, Le'Veon Bell, too. But in my opinion, I think you'd have a real argument with Antonio Brown and Ryan Shazier, three. I think they're very, very close, and everybody would say, oh, my God, you can't win without Antonio Brown. Well, they got some pretty good receivers other than Antonio Brown. And look, I voted for Antonio Brown for All-Pro this year. So I think right now he is state-of-the-art. But my point is, you're not going to win many games without the presence of Ryan Shazier uh, in, a, in a big game. So yeah, what I, would say, what I would say is, if I were them, I would be telling my scouting staff, Kevin Colbert, I'd be telling my scouting staff, let's make sure that we are totally buttoned up on every uh, linebacker in this field. Let's, you know, everybody. Let's let's look at Roquan Smith. Let's look at all these guys who are really, really good sideline to sideline players. We're talking to Peter King of the Monday Morning Quarterback website and si.com. Big decision for the Steelers regarding Lev Bell, Peter, because he's just not going to sign long term with with Pittsburgh. They're not going to give him what he wants. He's threatening to retire or skip the season if he gets franchised. How do you think the Steelers will handle that? I think they're going to let the season breathe a little bit, and they're, this is not a decision they have to make right now. What is it, March 6th, I think they have until. So <clears throat> you got seven weeks. 
to let everybody settle down and to try to measure right now how much money is it really going to cost to sign Le'Veon Bell. Okay, that's what you have to determine. And you also have to determine, can we do it like, in a, can we do a four-year contract that we, in essence, could end after two years if he's showing signs of slowing down uh, and so that it wouldn't really kill us in year three on the cap? You know, those are the kind of questions that I think the Steelers need to find out. But I don't think you make any decision right now. In the long run, I really think the Steelers need him. Cap's going up a bunch. I'm never in favor of being uh, of of paying a guy like, you know, so I follow the Red Sox, and they paid David Price like seven years, $210 million or something like that. And in year two, he, he hurts his arm. So, you know, that's that's bad. That's a bad decision. And, you know, with a running back with a lot of wear on his tire, I'm not sure I'm giving him four or five years. But if you are, you got to make sure you can get out of it after two or three without getting killed. Uh, moving ahead to this Sunday's games, Peter, what's your take on Jacksonville and New England? What has to happen for the Jaguars to win that game? Leonard Fournette reprises what he did in the first third of the game in Pittsburgh. If he does, uh, I think... Uh, I really think Jacksonville has a chance and not just a fleeting one. Um, none of us knows right now whether Tom Brady's right hand is injured, whether it's bruised. I mean, if you miss Thursday practice before the championship game because your hand is bruised, that's not good. And um, obviously, if if either he is limited or he can't play, I think Jacksonville is going to win the game, um, but but again, you know, we don't know we don't know how serious it is. Uh, I just wouldn't. I probably wouldn't trust Brian Hoyer in a very big moment uh, because the last time he had a big moment, uh, he was starting for the Houston Texans against Kansas City in the playoffs and kept throwing the ball to the wrong team the whole day. So uh, I, I I I think it's a Fournette day. Uh, if Brady is playing, and if Brady isn't playing, uh, I, I think that Jacksonville just needs to play its game and not turn it over. How can any team control Gronk, Peter? And, and what is Jacksonville's best bet? Because he is just such a unique game-breaker. You put Jalen Ramsey on him. He's a physical corner uh, who uh, would be fearless against Gronkowski, and obviously he'd be giving up you know, 45 pounds to him. But that that wouldn't bother me. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, I think there's a fearlessness you have to have when you play Rob Gronkowski. Uh, and he's going to out-physical you a lot of times. But I'll tell you what, Gronkowski would be absolutely vital, crucial, whatever word you want to use, if Brian Hoyer was playing in this game. Uh, because he'd, Hoyer would have to throw him 15 balls and just say, Gronk, move the chains. Who do you like between Minnesota and Philadelphia? I, I, I'll i be blunt. I don't believe in Philly with Foles at quarterback, but the Eagles seem to be rallying around that. Yeah, I probably like Philly, but not insanely. I mean, I think this is one of those games that uh, Philadelphia did a great job hiding the quarterback last week. And I thought their offensive game plan was superb. And you say, well, 
how, why are you praising their game plan? They only scored 15 points. Because they didn't hand it to the other team, they played efficiently, and they punted. You know, And to me, that's what a good team, a good coaching staff does when they know that you can't really trust your quarterback. You've got to uh, allow your running game. You know, was they had a 50-50 run-pass ratio. You got to let your running game try to dominate, and then you've got to tell your quarterback, "Don't throw the ball downfield very much." What's your take on the end of the game between Minnesota and New Orleans? Obviously, an epic ending. It was on Sports Center, pretty much on a loop. But why didn't Marcus Williams just tackle the catch? I I very rarely seen a defensive back in a situation like that do absolutely the wrong thing. My feeling is, and I was at the game, I was in disbelief like everybody else who was there. Um, I think, and I talked to Sean Payton about this the next day, what he said and what it looked like to me is that he was afraid of getting a pass interference call. If he hit him early and get the pass interference, spot foul, the play is there, and now you got one snap, from the whatever it was, the 24-yard line, uh, and you're kicking a 52-yard field goal to win. The guy had already made a 53-yarder earlier in the game. So obviously I think that uh, that uh, Marcus Williams was afraid of the pass interference. But all he had to do, and I mean you watch this and it's crazy when you think this, all he had to do is stop, wait till the ball was caught, and then drive the guy into the ground, drive uh, Stephon Diggs into the ground, inbounds, and the Vikings would never have been able to get a playoff. That, that's, I mean, that's an incredible teachable moment. In fact, Bill Parcells called uh, Mike Zimmer. They're very close. And he called Mike Zimmer the day after, and he said, make sure you show your players that play, and not just not because of what Diggs did, but to show where New Orleans went wrong in the coverage. That plus the fact they should have had a safety, a center fielding safety uh, as your, you know, as the guy to solve any jailbreak situation, and the Saints didn't do that. Peter, as always, fabulous insight, great work at the MMQB, and we'll talk again soon, I hope. Enjoy the rest of the playoffs. Thanks very much, Mark. All the best to you. That's Peter King. He's the best football guy, period. One day we got to get him on to talk about uh, Dr. Z, Paul Zimmerman. Uh, Peter found Dr. Z's memoirs. Dr. Z's had a series of strokes. He is, uh, he can't communicate, but uh, Peter edited his memoirs, and it's one of the best football books going. Dr. Z was this guy who played semi-pro football for years before becoming this great football writer, and he was a mean guy. And at Super Bowl thirty, I was covering that for the Post-Gazette. I was at some press gathering. He yelled at me. He was like, get out of the way or something like that for no good reason, but I consider that kind of a rite of passage. The Dr. Z yelled at me. Uh, up next, it's the Hockey Night Show. We want your calls, but hockey calls only. The Penguins visit the Kings tonight. Hear the action right here on the X. It's the X at 105.9 Hockey Night Show with your host, Mark Madden. Brought to you by Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. On your home for the best Pens coverage and the best hockey talk. 105.9 The X. Welcome to the Hockey Night Show, brought to you by the law firm of Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. Uh, Carl Hagelin had an interesting quote recently. He said, I know what kind of player I turn into after Christmas. I don't. I just hope it's a better kind. Actually, Hagelin has played better lately. He was flying last night at Anaheim. 
and he has a goal and four assists in his last four games. The goal, of course, was an empty netter, and those assists are residue from playing on Gino's line because Gino is on fire. Here's a stat that kind of sneaked up on me. We talked about it a little bit earlier. Phil Kessel is tied for second in the league in scoring. Second in the league, six points behind Kucherov of Tampa, who is running away with it and probably is going to get MVP, but there's lots of games left and Phil is smoking. What if Phil won the scoring title? Would they give him the MVP? I doubt it. Phil's second in the league in scoring, and they won't even put him in the All-Star game. There's no way they give Phil the MVP. If he wins the scoring race, they probably won't even give him the Art Ross. They'll probably say, uh, we're going to give Tavares or whoever the Art Ross. Give Phil, I don't give Phil a hot dog. Isn't he a hot dog guy? Give him like five black chips to go play poker with. The Pens lost 5-3 at Anaheim last night with an empty netter. Uh, the power play scored twice, and the Stars stayed hot. Josh Yoey said Jari played good, but I, I don't think so. He got beat by a couple good shots, but that wraparound goal to make a 2-1 Tampa, a 2-1 Anaheim, rather, that was a real bad goal to surrender at a real bad time. Uh, I thought the two most interesting developments were the benching of Daniel Sprong, and uh, the goal scored by Phil Kessel, which was just otherworldly. We'll get to that in a second. Uh, Sprong got yanked off Sid's line in the first period and did not play at all in the third period, which strikes me as kind of productive when you're trying to catch up, unless Sprong was really shirking on defense or whatever. Loafing was certainly what Coach Mike Sullivan implied afterwards. I didn't see the shirking. I didn't see the loafing. Doesn't mean it wasn't there. Tough to tell watching on TV. It just means I didn't see it. Benching a young guy is always debatable. It's up to Sally. He knows. But how will Sprong respond tonight? That's assuming he plays tonight. And I I would definitely play Sprong. You can't not. Benching him last night could teach Sprong a lesson. But I would put him right back on Sid's line tonight to see if Sprong learned anything from that lesson. Uh, the Penguins scored some great goals last night. Not good, but great. That Kessel goal. It's not a highlight reel goal. It's just an absolutely unstoppable shot. If you know hockey, you're going to watch that goal over and over again, and I have. Great feed from Sid, and no goalie ever could have stopped that shot. As I said earlier, you could have brought Jacques Pont back from the grave in his prime through the space-time continuum, and that shot's still back in the net. That shot goes by Ken Dryden. That shot goes by Tretiak. That shot goes by Tretiak if he's standing behind Ken Dryden. A, a great goal by Phil. It was good to see Gensel get a goal, too. That's been a long time coming. Uh, the Penguins could use a win tonight. We were just talking about a four-game winning streak. You don't want to be talking about a two-game losing streak so soon. Let's go to Bob in the car. Bob, you're on the Hockey Night Show. Bob, you're on the air. Let's go to Brendan in Bethel Park. Brendan, you're on the Hockey Night Show. Hey, how's it going, Mark? Great, Brendan. 
So basically, I was just wondering, everybody's talking about trades, trades, trades. I personally don't think it's a good idea. I think we should wait it out. What do you think about the whole trade scenario with the third-line center? When you say wait it out, Brendan, what do you mean? Well, I mean, we should, you know, let the season play out. See, I think they're going to make a trade before the deadline, and I think they're going to do their best to get a third-line center. Mm-hmm. What really sucks is uh, Bozick's the guy to get from Toronto, and they won't trade him to Pittsburgh because Toronto could play Pittsburgh in the playoffs. They won't take that kind of risk. Uh, but uh, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that trade's out there. I also know they're very happy with Riley Shane. I would not yeah. be happy with him as the third, but I'm overjoyed with him. Right now is the fourth with Gensel in the middle. Maybe mm-hmm. Gensel stays in the middle for the rest of the year, although I think ultimately Gensel's going to play left wing with Sid and Sprong. So uh, a lot yeah. of interesting possibilities, but I agree with you, Brandon, from the standpoint, I don't think they have to make a big trade. I think what has to happen is what's currently happening. Sid, Gino, and Kessel stay hot, and the power play stays hot. I agree. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Brandon. Let's go to Nate in Bridgeville. Nate, you're on the Hockey Night Show. Yeah, Mark, uh, I wanted to know if you got a chance to see that Kevin Stevens documentary they had on uh, CBC last week. No, no, but I have a copy of it that was uh, uh, George uh, uh, Skatakis, I think his name is, the producer, was kind enough to send me a, a copy, so I'm going to be watching it maybe as soon as tonight. I heard it was brilliant, right? It was fantastic. You know, I didn't realize that his addiction started just before that big hit in the Islanders series, and then I was also, you know, I think the world of Mario Lemieux, and just when I think I've heard everything about what, how good of a guy he is, to see his devotion to Kevin Stevens and never giving up. Well, Mario's always oh. stood by, by Artie, and I'll, I'll tell you who else i got to give a lot of credit to, especially in helping Kevin to get through his recent troubles, is Mark Recchi. Mark Recchi really kept an eye on Artie, really stayed in touch, so uh, I give credit to Rex as well. But, you know, it's not like with, with with Mario, with with Rex, heck, even with me. I mean, I've always stayed in touch with Artie. He's the greatest guy ever. And uh, it really has pained me when things have gone poorly for him, but uh, now things seem to be headed in a bit better direction, uh, and I'm happy about that. And hopefully things will get better and better. Artie back working for the Penguins again. Hopefully uh, that bears fruit for all involved. Let's go real quick to Andrew and Peters. Andrew, you're on with Double M. Hey, how you doing? I was just curious your uh, opinion on uh, reinserting Cole over Hunwick. Uh, I know they keep Hunwick in there because he gets the puck out, um, but overall I just feel like Ian Cole oh, Okay, is here's more... my take on that. I'm not outraged that Hunwick's playing ahead of Cole. I think Cole's better. I would play Cole ahead of Hunwick based on current ability and past accomplishments, uh, but I'm not outraged by it. I, I don't think it's the... The worst move ever. What's sad is, part of it is, they brought Hunwick in to play the right side and he couldn't do it. So they brought Alexiak in because he can't play the right side even though he's a left shot. And that moved Hunwick to the left side and they acquired those guys so they feel obligated to play both of them and that makes Cole the odd man out. 412-333-9939. It's the Hockey Night Show. We want your hockey calls only. Pens and Kings tonight. Kings have lost four in a row. That's the good news. The bad news is they haven't played since Monday. Yikes. 105.9.
It's the Axis Hockey Night Show with your host, Mark Madden. Brought to you by Shenderovich, Shenderovich, and Fishman. The best hockey talk on your home of the Pens and best Pens coverage, 105.9 The X. I'm giving away a thousand bucks in just a little bit. Stay tuned, I'll tell you how to win it. No word on if Sprong's going to play tonight. I, would you really bench Sprong for John Sebastian Dea? I got to get Spronger in there. See if he learned his lesson, whatever that is. Although, I'll be honest. I don't know if he's the type to learn lessons. Sometimes you bench a kid and you explain to him what he did wrong and he'll think to himself, that's just the way I play. Leave me alone. And the Penguins haven't had too many guys like that come through here. Daniel Sprong strikes me as somebody who might be one of those. Not for sure, but might. Let's go to Jim in Monroeville. Jim, you're on the Mark Madden Show. How you doing, Mark? Good, Jim. Mark, I'd like to preface it to say my mother's French-Canadian, my father's a Cajun, I know a lot about hockey, and I've wrangled an alligator. Gee, that's fascinating, Jim. What else do you have? I'd like to say congratulations to Willie O'Ree, the first black player to play in the National Hockey League. Yeah, today's the, the anniversary of that, correct? Years ago today. That's right. How many years ago? Years. 60 years. And he's still alive, right? He is, absolutely. Did you see him play? I did not. I'm actually uh, going to be 61 this year, but I was so just... So you just guy. missed him. That's right. But there is film on him. And, oh, no, no, uh, I, I've seen it. There uh, there was a, quite a nice special about Willie O'Ree, and I've met Mr. O'Ree. He was, uh, I don't know what it's called now. It used to be called Hockey in the Hood, this organization that promoted inner-city hockey. To be honest, that's kind of a sketchy name. I'm, I'm, I think it's good that they changed it. And Mr. O'Ree was in town for something involving that a few years ago, and I had the opportunity to meet him, and uh, I will forever treasure having done that. Uh, you know, uh, I'm not sure that breaking into hockey as a black man had the same cachet or level of difficulty as Jackie Robinson breaking into MLB because, you know, you had to go south for spring training. And with hockey, I mean, most of the uh, cities are pretty far north where the tolerance level was a lot better. But but I'm not trying to minimize it. I, I, I'm, you know, congratulations to him for a great accomplishment. And he was a pretty good player, too. That's correct. Thank you for the call, Jim. Be careful with those alligators. I mean, speaking for Ric Flair, occasionally he has trouble keeping those alligators down. Woo! Ryan Reeves said about Willie O'Ree, when I think of Willie, I think of a guy that broke the color barrier in hockey in the 50s and 60s when he was playing. It was not an easy time for a man of color to play hockey. He was a pioneer for black hockey players. Unquote. Listen, I'll tell you how to win a thousand bucks. Well, somebody will. You get a password, you text. Just listen. Win a thousand dollar bribe right here on the X.